Welcome to the Earth Wants You. This is Reverend Billy with co-host Savitri D. Savi, amen. Hey, Rev. And this is a production of the Church of Stop Shopping here in lovely downtown New York City. And today we have farmers, philosophers, freezing marchers, newly discovered species, a little bit of positivity there, Earthaluya. The uh, Earth may be experiencing extinction, but is also, as that happens, experiencing evolution and growth and change. And mm-hmm. you know, sadly, many of our new discoveries are already on the brink of extinction when discovered. But oh no, that's not what I was I going don't mean for to here. Rain on your that's parade. not what I was going for. Yeah, let's get back to the freezing cold marches and the freedom fighters and raining on the parade is also a happy happy uh phrase it's true when it's hot when it's really hot there's nothing like rain at the end of a parade oh we have a mood clash here don't we amen well praise be what are we going to go straight to our parade yeah let's check and it didn't have so much rain as it had Wind, freezing wind. And this goes out to all of you hardworking activists who are out there in the streets. Yesterday was uh, Dr. King's day, and uh, we were in New York, and check it out. Fran, what is this march about? Well, this march is about resisting the onslaught of luxury development that if we don't do this it's gonna probably gonna swamp our neighborhood it's gonna be destroyed as we know it and it's gonna be another disneyland park for the rich all right we're here in downtown new york on martin luther king jr day well there you go there's our wonderful francisco benitez who's been working in chinatown that's her neighborhood a member of the Stop Shopping Choir. Resisting Amen. these One gigantic of our towers that are really, uh, I mean, they're, they're just destructive in every way. A Disneyland totally for the Totally outside rich. the democratic process as well. So many rezones and developments are. And then we, we left that march and we went to another march. Um, well, it was more of a rally in front of one police plaza, which is Police HQ here in New York City, uh, where a Black Lives Matter group convened. Uh, families of those killed by police, a young man who was recently uh, beaten by the police, um, and Hawk, the leader of Black Lives Matter in New York City, uh, starts this off. This country won't change until black people like Anthony Beckwith stand up and rally their hoods, until our white allies like those who are out here today go out and tell their peers and help spread the word to their peers country will not change until we change it. This country won't change until black people like Anthony Beckwith stand up and rally their hoods. Until our white allies like those who are out here today go out and tell their peers and help spread the word to their peers to say you must stand for justice. This country will never change. 60 million Americans supported white supremacy when they voted for Donald Trump. I know that anytime to be my time when it comes to these offices. But I don't fret about that. Mm. Martin knew hey. his time will come. Right on. But Martin said one thing, you're going to be proud of who you are. Mm-hmm. You're going to be proud.
proud of your people. You're going to stand up and fight and separate yourself from those who want to poison you. You're going to separate yourself from those who want to oppress you. Like I, like he said, um, um, I'm Angela Kirsten's wife, and um, what happened to him was was a tragedy. Eleven times, Angela cried out and said, "I can't breathe," just like Eric Garner, just to die in back of the police car, begging for help. A tragedy that you know could have been prevented if Officer Mark Weeks mm. would have called the ambulance. Amen. And all we want these officers to to be held accountable, and we also want to know why. Because when the tragedy happens, it's wow, did that just really happen? Right, right. Dennis, but how? Mm. Dennis, but can you tell me why? And we don't get neither one. No, no, nothing from the officers. And that's what we want to know. We need to have closure, not only for ourselves, but for our little ones as well. So Angelique there, wow, you can really hear her trying to make a life after what happened to her partner, Andrew, in the back of that taxi cab. And I mean that, sorry, that in the back of that police car. When she asks why. And how. Why. And then how. She was amazing. Uh... It does, it does, the murders uh, shake us to the, to the bottom of our existential root system. They really and do, it and as she said, sense. as she said, you don't get over it. It just keeps happening over and over, and then you have to explain it to someone. You have to explain it to your child, and a then nightmare. your child has a deeper understanding. You have to explain it again, and it's just, it's never ending. She's a wonderful person, so... Thank you, Black Lives Matter, for uh, showing us the way, as always. Let's listen to the remarkable Mississippi John Hurt. Oh, that's perfect for this this moment. Walk. 
myself Is nobody here Could walk it for him He had to walk A bad valley for himself All right, Mississippi John Hurt singing to us with that sweet, sad voice. And now, are we recovering? We're ready. <laughs> we're, we're ready for the an array of bad news, but there's some good news. The news from the natural world. Right on. With Savitri D. Savi. Welcome to News from the Natural World. I'm Savitri D. Almost 25% of the antibiotics prescribed in the United States to people covered by private insurance are inappropriately prescribed. A new study examines insurance records for more than 19 million patients, and at least 40% of those filled at least one antibiotic prescription during the year. In 23% of the cases, the drugs were not medically justified. Another 36% of the antibiotics prescribed in the study were for conditions that only sometimes need such drugs, such as sinusitis. Oh, don't, don't ever take antibiotics for sinusitis, people. Herpetologists, you know what those are? They do not study herpes. Get your mind out of the gutter, Billy. Herbs? Herbs. They study snakes. Oh. Herpetologists <laughs> described... <laughs> A previously unknown species of snake that was discovered where? Inside the stomach of another snake. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Wow. Sir David Attenborough has warned that the, quote, Garden of Eden is no more. And he urged political and business leaders from around the world to make a renewed push to tackle climate change before the damage is irreparable. David, you've come to it a bit yes, late. Yes, uh, well, A he's new here. study conducted in China found a clear association between low levels of happiness among city dwellers and levels of toxic air pollution. So, New Yorkers, if you wonder why all your friends are in such a bad mood, it's the air pollution. Scientists used real-time data on people's moods attained, obtained from social media and compared it against levels of airborne particulate matter that has been linked to lung disease. And we're always wearing black <laughs> and we're always in a bad mood. <laughs> I'm not in a bad mood. But New Yorkers. I'm I mean, just yeah. de a depressive. With air pollution already <laughs> responsible for 1.1 million premature deaths in China and costing the nation's economy $38 billion every year, this new research, which obviously is from China, suggests it is also having a pervasive effect on mental health. Well, I'm glad to see the government cares about mental health. I don't know if they do here in our country. More than 275 brands, more than 275 brands, retailers, recyclers, governments, and NGOs are announcing a shared vision to close the loop on plastic pollution. In a first-of-its-kind collaboration, the signatories to the New Plastics Economy Global Commitment, collectively responsible for producing 20% of all plastic packaging globally and representing the full value chain for plastics, have pledged to eradicate plastic waste and pollution. 
problematically, some of the signatories are among the world's leaders in plastic production and have no plans to slow down production. Well, why did they sign then? And what, here what's are some the examples. Shell. Oh. Building wow. a multi-billion dollar plant in Pennsylvania in the eastern United States using shale gas as its fuel to produce 1.6 million tons of polyethylene. This is new material, okay? This isn't existent, and now they're going to change their ways. This is a new one. They're planning. ExxonMobil, another signatory. Uh, it's building a new polyethylene production line at its plant in Mount Bellevue, Texas, to increase plastic production to more than 2.5 million tons a year. Uh, when it is completed, it will be one of the largest plastic production units in the world. And finally, <laughs> leaders, our moral leaders, Saudi Arabia's state oil company, Saudi Aramco, and the country's chemical giant, SABIC, are building one of the world's largest oil to petrochemicals factories as they, like other fossil fuel companies, move away from reliance on crude oil revenue. So you see, the oil companies can tell that we're shifting our economy away from them. And they're just going to make all their money from plastics now. So and this don't worry about them. They're going to survive. They're going to do, do okay. They're going to survive our new, our new uh, green deal. And this agreement, number one, <laughs> it's just advertising on its face. Somebody no. might believe that. Them. No. Somebody might believe them. And number no, two. No. That's number not two. true. That's not true. Their participation is a form of advertising. That's what I'm saying. The agreement itself is full of wonderful plans and is not led by them and actually probably will achieve some of wonderful goals. Splitting hairs. I'm talking no. about that agreement coming into the public sphere and people recognizing that agreement and, and saying to themselves, oh, maybe, get back maybe the news. oil companies are changing. The For second thing I was going to say is mm -hmm. that this will make a real agreement that has some teeth that really will change people and take plastics out of the ecosystems of the world mm. less believable less effective mm. because they moved in and the big boys moved mm. in and did this first korean scientists produced uh, a one-of-a-kind technology that will help the entire living species on this planet the scientists use concepts to melt carbon dioxide in water to generate an electrochemical reaction when the solution reacts acidity rises and the number of protons increases. These protons attract electrons at an immensely high rate. This unique formula can be used to create a battery system where electricity is produced by removing carbon dioxide. So wow. now, now we have a solution. We can remove CO2 and make electricity at the same time. Cool. And so we can make money while we <laughs> save ourselves. <laughs> Scientist Brad Lister uh, just returned to the Puerto Rican rainforest after 35 years, and he found that 98% of ground insects had vanished. In the U.S., uh, healthcare accounts for nearly a tenth of greenhouse gas emissions. Life-saving equipments like CAT scans, and, uh, respirators, dialysis machines have huge energy demands currently met with fossil fuel energy. A tenth of greenhouse gas emissions in the U.S. come from healthcare. How confusing. If U.S. healthcare were a country, it would have a $3.3 trillion GDP and rank seventh in the world in total emissions. And hospitals produce about a pound of hazardous medical waste per bed per day. The Rhine Waterway. Jesus. So they're producing the illness and then they're 
you know, yeah. making money, curing the illness. What an, uh, when, uh, when we don't die. Complicated, complicated. The Rhine waterway in Germany, a river to most of us. <laughs> it's Thank critical to <laughs> moving coal, <laughs> car parts, food, and thousands of other goods. Risks becoming impassable because of climate change. The river is flooded by glaciers and rain, but alpine ice flows shrank 28% between 1973 and 2010, the date of the most recent in-depth study by the Swiss government, and that declined maybe as much as 35% now. The Rhine waterway, soon to be impassable and uh, shallowing out at this point. Uh, more than 10,000 students skipped school in Belgium for the second time in less than a month to join a march demanding better protections of the global's fragile climate. Wow. Oh, uh, Amen. One more time. More than 10,000 students skipped school again in Belgium to join a march demanding better protections of the globe's fragile climate. Despite the rain and cold, the colorful protest march in Brussels was bigger than the first one last week. Banners read, Stool... <laughs> I am really having a rough time. I don't get it. You, you I cannot. I I'm so sorry. Okay. So precise. We're starting that one over, and then that's the last mistake. Savitri is going to. I'm so sorry, Kellyanne. More than 10,000 students skipped school again for the second time in less than a month in Belgium to join a march demanding better protections of the globe's fragile climate. Despite the rain and cold, the colorful protest march was bigger than the first one. Banners read, Schools strike for climate and skipping school? No, we fight for our future. Uh, the march was free of incidents, and uh, the students are going to try and do it once a week. And, uh, and so far, no one's gotten in trouble for skipping school. With the world's three largest prison populations. Wow. With the world's third largest prison population, Brazil's jails are overcrowded and violent. But there are mounting concerns. The situation is worse for indigenous inmates who can face unduly long sentences due to no linguistic or legal aid. On a rarely permitted visit to a prison in the southwestern state of Mato Grosso uh, do Sul, the Thomson Reuters Foundation spoke to five indigenous prisoners, all of whom said they did not have a lawyer when taken to jail. The prisoners also said vital medical supplies were withheld. They were threatened with violence by police, and some were forced to confess to crimes they had not committed. Uh, we're going to try here at the Earth Wants You to uh, pay some attention to Brazil as this transition into their new fascist government um, takes place, really keeping an eye on uh, our activist and indigenous friends in Brazil. A Pittsburgh suburb has rejected a proposal to allow drilling for natural gas under a local park. Amen. Uh, and if nations commit immediately uh, n not to replace fossil fuel infrastructure as it reaches the end of its expected lifetime, the world will have a 64% chance of keeping global warming below 1.5 degrees Celsius. So just stop fixing things, stop bringing new infrastructure online. Uh, and we have a 64% chance of keeping global warming below 1.5 degrees. Uh, what? And, and the Green New Deal, which 626 about? groups have signed on to, 626 groups, big environmental groups, except, check it out, these are the groups that did not sign on to the Green New Deal. Are you ready? The Sierra Club. Haha, <laughs> no surprise there. The National... The Natural Resources Defense Council. <clears throat> the Environmental Defense Fund. Oh... 
Mom's Clean Air Force. Don't know about that. Environment America and the Audubon Society. Two green groups founded by deep-pocketed Democratic celebrities are also absent. Al Gore's Climate Reality Project and Tom Steyer's Next Gen America. You know why? Because these groups are agents of capitalism. There's no way around that. Our billionaire friend Tom Steyer... You know, thank you, Tom, for all your work, but... Tom, can I borrow 10 bucks? I okay. just, I'll pay and you finally, back tomorrow. Finally, observers of uh, the lunar eclipse earlier in the week, the so-called super wolf blood moon, <laughs> eagerly watched by millions of people. Well, during the eclipse, some people noticed a tiny flash on the surface of the moon, a brief yellow-white speck. And one Reddit user watching, a, a, you know... A, a streaming video raised the possibility that this was a meteorite impact. Others scoured eclipse footage for evidence of the event. A flash is visible in at least three different videos. Jose Mariedo at the University of Huelva in Spain has confirmed that the impact is genuine. So if you were watching the lunar eclipse, you were also watching a meteorite hit the surface of the moon. <laughs> oh my god luckily those chinese astronauts got out of there in time it didn't hit them oh that little <laughs> that little plant they were growing a little sprout the cotton wow people sava tree is not you know if anybody, anybody saw that meteorite forgive me call us right now at 646-299-3019 um I was telling Billy earlier when I sometimes when why did, I why did you cover me up? <laughs> you didn't want anybody to hear my phone number. I um, <laughs> I sometimes get so overwhelmed preparing for the news segment that I I just everything starts to seem more and more incredible, all of it. But this week there did seem to be quite a bit of this kind of obfuscation in I guess because our government's just turning over. There's all these new plans and bills and ideas and stuff and. So this thing with the Green New Deal and these, like, the Sierra Club not signing it, and it's like, what is wrong with these people? What is wrong with these groups? Okay, don't get me started. Don't get Billy started. I think We're gonna you started. Listen, we have I today think she started. a wonderful group of activists joining us on the radio. Uh, these men, last week, they blocked the delivery of equipment to the Cricket Valley Energy uh, center project, uh, which is just on the New York side of the Connecticut border. Uh, David Epstein, Philip Erner, Creek Iverson, Benjamin Schwartz climbed onto a tractor in the middle of the night and blocked a road and prevented these turbines critical to the project from being delivered. Uh, the road was closed. This is a $1.5 billion plant, a natural gas-fired plant. And you know what that means. Fracked gas, people. Fracked gas. Methane. It means danger because the natural gas pipelines explode. It means a lot of things. So this is up in the New Milford, Connecticut, Dover area. Uh, these four men did this action. We got them on the phone. Uh, they don't have a, a name for their group yet, um, but... That's part of their charm. Is yeah. They, they, they just got together and did this thing. These amazing humans. Um, so let's get them on the phone. I know. Uh, I know that we have tractor drivers out there in Radio Land and in the mega church. Mm. And that we're going to have some copycat 
activism here. I hope so. Farmers. We got up on the highway in the middle of the night and kept enormous turbines from traveling to the construction site. We're very happy to have with us on the phone some courageous activists and their attorney. Um, we have Creek Iverson and we, we have Philip uh, Erner and we have David Epstein on the phone with us um, from various places. Um, and we welcome you to The Earth Wants You. Amen. So, David, could you explain what happened on the road last week in the middle of the night? We were engaging in direct action to stop pieces of the equipment that were heading to power up this project power plant in Cricket Valley. And uh, we were on the Connecticut side of the New York-Connecticut border. We were using a tractor to train ourselves to the stage of protest that, you know, this was an unacceptable piece of uh, frack infrastructure going into New York system. Even though we have a ban on fracking, we have both quite the elaborate frack infrastructure. <laughs> right. So, so, so the road was closed so that these huge turbines could come through, correct? Yeah, although, you know, it's interesting because, you know, you try to plan these things out logistically and then you get there and you realize there's certain things that maybe you didn't think about in terms of details. So we weren't really sure what it would mean if the road was closed. And as it turned out, it didn't mean a whole lot. I think they were kind of closing it off. Maybe if they were creeping a little bit better than you, but they were kind of closing it off very subtly and only a tiny bit ahead of time. So we were a little worried, honestly, that we were going to do this because, you know, cars go whipping around those corners at 55 miles an hour. This was nothing that they knew about coming. So there's no reason for them to know we were going to be there. And, you know, it's the dead of night and it's dark. So, uh, wow. We had some concerns about how to try to do this safely for, you know, the drivers uh -huh. there, obviously, and for ourselves as well. Wow, that sounds scary. I, I mean, so you drove a tractor up onto the highway. Oh, yeah. It was uh, 1957 Massey Ferguson. And the first time uh, we, we tried to drive it out, it didn't start. So that was... <laughs> oh, my God. Beck, is that you? Did you join us? Yeah, yeah. Sorry about hey, that. Hey, welcome. Uh, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, Creek had to bring his old farm truck out and jump, jump it while uh, we were trying to hustle out. Um, <laughs> and uh, luckily, um, it started up eventually and drove it out into the road through the key and the bushes, and uh, then we locked down. So the Fer the Massey Ferguson, isn't that the blue tractor? Am I picturing that right? The blue one? What, what um, these ones are, this one was red. Oh, It's wow. like a red. Okay. So that must have um, been a good yeah. feeling when that tractor didn't start. I mean, I'm just thinking. Of a, a sinking <laughs> feeling. <laughs> but then it did start. You got it started. So it you're was, sitting there. It was a whole sinking feeling. <laughs> it, yeah, it didn't start a couple different times. Oh, my God. But, you know, we discussed this together, you know, like how we were feeling emotionally, checking in with each other and so forth. And I think many of us were feeling, you know, anxious ahead of time. But what was interesting was in the moment, we all talked about this. You know, we felt we knew exactly where we needed to be. Right. We were all very calm when the event was happening, when the police showed up, and there were a lot of them. Uh, you know, when, when that was happening, we uh -huh. all felt 
very centered and at peace with what was happening. Right. I, I saw images of it and you do look very grounded. It's something I, I think we should mention on, on here we are on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And that was so, something you can see in photographs of him, the stillness that he has. And I noticed that in the in the images um, I saw of your action, a kind of um, almost profound stillness in the body and a calm. Um, and I, I think that's a, a, a kind of, I think of it as a sort of exalted state, really a state of grace. Absolutely. Yeah, and it felt like we were in the right place at the right time. So it was really a sense of peace. Um, so I, I think a lot of these, a lot of these, you know, when you're, you're not in that place and you're seeing something, you know, that terrible that's happening that, you know, is, bad for the earth or the bad, bad for the people and you, you sense this, you have this sense of frustration or anger or, um, you know, all these, all these uh, negative emotions and, but once you're actually out there resisting, uh, what is causing you so much, um, you know, uh, disturbance in your mind, then you get that inner peace. Um, and that's definitely what we were feeling. Um, and, I, and I'm sure that's, you know, what Martin Luther King was feeling when he was, you know, walking the walking the walk as he did well now the police approached you and did they have some inner peace or what was their <laughs> what was their psychological uh, uh were they did you were some of the police nicer than others that's their their old strategy yeah there was definitely some mind games going on um with the police, they were, uh, they really just wanted us to get out of the road. Uh-huh. And they were insisting that perhaps if we, um, you know, if we pull the trash over to the side, we could, you know, continue our protest on the side of the road at midnight on a Tuesday night when it was 17 degrees. <laughs> but, you know, we also, all four of us have skin privilege. So, you know, that plays a big factor for chaining yourself to a tractor at midnight on a freezing night in the middle of the road unannounced mm-hmm. uh, in terms of, the kind of levels of fear or the kind of concerns of potential violent consequences right. that we're worried about. Although I have heard that the police in that area can be pretty, um, well, let's just say they're not used to protests, really, are they? Is this probably the, one of the first protests that any of them had ever encountered in some time? I think it was the first set of arrests associated with this plant. So let's talk about the plant a little bit. It's um, under construction now. Correct? Tell us what the state of the plant is in Connecticut. Well, um, the, now the, the plant is located in New York State on the border in the Harlem Valley. And um, the, 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 um, I think the, the things about the folks for the, about the thing for the folks in the Connecticut and surrounding towns in New York is that they never really had a say about whether the plant was going to go in or not. All of a sudden, you know, a lot of the politicians, for some reason, were keeping it uh, really under wraps uh-huh. and not letting their constituents know. And um, there's this huge uproar, uproar on, in northwestern Connecticut about it because uh, they didn't have a say and they didn't really realize that this plant was going up until last August. And now it looks like the Death Star. It's like these huge cranes and terrible flashing lights. And, um, and they're, you know, everyone's very concerned about their air quality. Um, there's certain folks, you know, in, directly in the town that are getting money out of this, but everyone else kind of just has everything to lose and nothing to gain. Um, so did local farmers, uh, uh, have they protested in some other way? Are they, are they rising up against it in other ways? And y- you're the first to take this kind of direct action, but do you feel that there is resistance amongst the rural farming community there? 
So, you know, what we need is collective action to change the system. Right. And that's what we're trying to draw attention to with this action. We need systemic change. Yeah. We need a change that gives hope to all of us for better options and for better opportunities. Well, we don't have to participate in extraordinary forms of violence in order to feed ourselves, to eat, to farm our food, mm. to heat our homes, because it's wrong. Yes, yes, please. earth Thank you. <laughs> I wonder about, um, you know, the, we know there's this big generational change coming with uh, in the rural economies, right? We know a lot of land is about to turn over as the, as the boomers age out. And we know that there's been this incredible wave of young farmers across the country. I mean, I see hope in that in so many directions. I also know it's a really hard life. Um, I know it's an impossible life for most young people now. But I wonder, I mean, if you feel in the young farming community, um, you know, a wave of, of a different kind of ecological sensibility, something that, um, you know, considers that larger extractive picture and that larger kind of economic picture. Um, and if you feel like it's, it's a group that can be mobilized towards this kind of collective action. Um, I didn't grow up farming. I could see last me even when I was 28 years old, 10 years ago, whether I'd ever farm, I would have told you, hell no. And yet here I am trying to do it that way because I've become convinced that there is no real other way to survive. Uh, joining a community um, of people who are going to care about each other and learning to take care of some of your basic needs mm -hmm. uh, and, and, um, and, you know, healing the damage that has been done. Um, everybody knows by now that the generation, Gen, Gen Y, millennials, etc., are poorer than the generation before, and that's the first time that's been true in the United States in at least a century. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I just want to talk for a moment now about MLK Day again, though. The, um, I, I feel very privileged and fortunate to be here in Atlanta. Um, my, uh, my partner Rebecca and I had planned a trip here to visit her family before I knew that I'd be participating in this action. And uh, intentionally to be here to <clears throat> return to where she was born for MLK Day. And it was very inspiring to uh, be, on the, be on the MLK March that they have here every year. I, I learned... But although the King Center has existed um, since uh, shortly after Dr. King's assassination, it actually only officially became a national park uh, last year. Um, one sign that particularly resonated with me was uh, Dr. King said, I see no alternative to direct action and creative nonviolence. Mm to raise the conscience of the um, It's also the 100th anniversary of the birth of fascism in, uh, in Germany this year. And, uh, just before going away, I had the chance to learn uh, the song Auf Auf zum Kampf mm -hmm. from uh, my sister and her partner, which uh, commemorates some assassinations of of uh, leftists that led to 
ultimately fascism rising and Nazism, and so it's a, a cautious reminder. There were lots of anti-fascists at the MLK march here as well. Mm. Um, in fact, I would say that is the single largest message that wasn't directly about Dr. King. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Well, I um, think finally, in terms of, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to taking a lot of time here. No, it's fine. No, this is good. A, this is good. I just wanted to mention a, a publication that just came out of the Young Farmer Movement in um, our area at upstate New York, um, Farming While Black by Leah Peniman of Soul Fire Farming. For those listeners right. who haven't heard of this farm yet, you, you probably would have seen if you hadn't heard it from us. This is a uh, this is exactly what it sounds like. Um, it is a hopeful a book for for farming and uh, from the black and brown uh, American perspective. Soul Fire Farm. Soul Fire Farm, yeah. She's great. Soul Fire Leah. Farm. Great work. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that um, maybe that's another thing that's happening with the future of farming is you're going to be seeing a lot more black and brown folks um, stepping on, up to it. Farming is actually the whitest profession in the country, um, partially because it, it takes some, it takes privilege to be a part of it, but um, right. that's changing. Right. You know, let me let me jump in there, Ben, because that's that's an important point that I think also is an interesting way to address the question about you know biophilia, which was the question. You know, mm-hmm. is there is there a renewed eco consciousness coming in the younger people? And you know, the concept for that in eco pedagogy is biophilia, this love of life, mm-hmm. which is which is, you know, uh, juxtaposed to this idea of a love of death that our society has embraced and which gave birth to things like fascism and wow. other isms that are violent, including our current form of, you know, psychotically destructive capitalism. So, yes, I think certainly that is making a strong comeback. And, and just to give it, you know, uh, uh, a detailed, specific kind of story instead of this abstraction, I remember taking my students from the south side of Chicago to the botanical gardens on the very edge of the north side of the city. And, you know, we had plans for what to do there, but when they got off, they just scattered and they saw this amazing, <laughs> beautiful place full of rolling hills and lakes mm-hmm. and so forth. So we just let them do what they wanted. And we let them kind of figure out, you know, what was good for their soul and heart and mind in that moment. And I saw a group clustered on a hill, so I went up to see what they were up to. And I saw these, these young adults, many of whom have to behave like adults in their settings because of the kind of economic burdens they already have at 15 and 16 in their right. neighborhoods. And, and they're in tears, and that's not something you normally see from, from, from these kids. Yeah. And they're watching a hawk. I think it was a, a red-tailed fly in the sky, and one of them turns to me and says, how come we never get to see things, these kinds of beautiful things in the neighborhoods where we live? So, you know, you started this radio interview by asking us where our most favorite place is. You you started this interview by asking us a place-based question where you understand the rooted importance of of how we orient to Earth Mm -hmm. with a specific space and the kind of segregation that we've caused because of economics that are tied to obvious historical wrongs and racism and so forth. These have profound consequences yes, yes. to how we treat the earth and to our eco-consciousness. Yes. And as Ben just pointed out, to professions related to that. Yes. And so, you know, this is a, a nested problem. It is a wicked problem. Yes. We have to attack it on many different fronts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Well, here at the Earth Wants You, we uh, we honor activism, um, and I want to say plainly and clearly to all of you how grateful we are for your work, and that we are not alone in that gratitude. That there are thousands of people who are grateful to you today for taking that chance and driving that tractor on that road and sitting there in the dead of night and being arrested and treated, I'm sure, quite poorly. Um, and I want to know, is there anything we can do to help you now in your struggle? Um, well, um, I hate to say this, but uh, we took um, 1200 bucks from the, from the money that we were supposed to use to pay our, our land taxes and bought the tractor, so we'll be... Uh, we want to fundraise pretty soon. <laughs> we right want to help you. We want to help. We want to help you. Please uh, email us the details, and uh, in future shows, we'll weave that into our into our announcements and so forth. And let's let's definitely stay in touch. Yeah, I good know luck. that Gaia is with us here. We've got this living being, the Earth. Uh, this self-regulating organism, and she mm. is, she is she is grateful for your work. The these natural gas facilities have, uh, as Bill McKibben has taught us, have escaping methane uh, that is um, really belies the argument that this is a bridge, you know, uh, to a fuel. clean future. Yeah, it's yeah. not. It's Please. not. It's fossil fuel. Mm. And um, that is an education that lots of people have got to have that Gaia will appreciate. And we, uh, we're just grateful to you for talking to us today here just, to f- just, just in this time of uh, emotions and um, adjusting to what has happened. Um, we're grateful to have the opportunity to uh, spread your word that comes from your bravery. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, bro. Thank you. When I lost my only job, climate changed me. When my mom began to sob, climate changed me. When the storm tore off the roof, climate changed me. When the sky told me the truth, well, I always knew that I would have to change. But do I have to die, die to change, change, change? Climate changed you. Climate changed you. When the flash flood makes you scream. Climate changed you. Climate changed you. When the drought dries up your dreams. Climate changed you. Climate changed you. With three cousins underground. Climate changed you. Climate changed you. When the springtime made no sound. Well, I always knew that you would have to change. But do you have to die, die to change, 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 time is changeless, when the flower lost its being.
changed us. When to be is not to be. Climate changed us. When the sunshine hates our skin. Climate changed us. it is the future right we're going to see more and more of this kind of rural uprising that's what it takes it's got to be everybody you know it's got to be everybody our activism has to be alive and if our activism is alive then the issues are not separate from each other mm-hmm. and you heard them as they warmed up to us and started talking with more fervor towards the second part of the interview am i right mega church they started yeah. talking about racism they started talking about the economy, yeah. capitalism. Yeah. They started going, traveling around the different issues. and um, That's so articulate also. Um, I, I, I do think that putting your hands in the dirt and like working with land, uh, for one thing, it slows you down in certain ways. And I think you do, you do have a different space for thought in that life. I mean, uh, a philosophical thought. In and contrast to somebody who's sitting in front of a computer all day. Yeah, who's just having other thoughts kind of forced into all their orifices. Pixelated. Yeah. There's a pixelated thought in my orifice. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, have a, I have a special Extinction's Got Talent today. Um, because I feel so often that we are, it is so sad. Today, I, I decided to talk to you about a new species that has been described rather than one that is on its way out the door. This is the uh, reticulated siren. Um, It is a completely aquatic salamander and it lives in northwest Florida and southern Alabama and has a slimy eel-like body with irregular spots on its skin. Two forelegs, no back legs, and a set of gills just behind its head. It's about the length of North America's largest salamander, the hellbender, (laughs) but is much more delicate. And that all adds up to a highly unusual animal and one of the largest vertebrates described 
in the United States or Canada in the past few decades. So here we have this, it's not the sound specifically of the reticulated siren, which would be something like this. This, you're improving now. This is just, ladies and gentlemen. Actually, what I'm going to play for you, you know now that that was is the sound of a swamp. Okay, okay. and you're going to have to just just imagine close that your eyes, reticulated siren into the swamp. There okay, and think of the siren. All right. Okay, I can do that. And there we have Swamp the reticulated sounds. siren All in them critters. your mind. All them critters down there in that swamp. Out in mm. Fairbanks, Alaska, and Taos, New Mexico, and Richmond, Virginia. We, we know that you've got in your minds that slimy little salamander snake. It's not that little. Amen. You never said how big. Is that like a foot or two mm. feet? or No, something? no, no. It's It's... Less than a foot. Okay. All right. But of course, because it's newly described, we actually don't know how big it can be. There, there could be ones living in those swamps that are the size of alligators. Well, let's hope or so. Or redwood trees, <laughs> for all we know. That's how little we know people. A salamander the size of a redwood tree? We don't tree. know anything. We know nothing. You've gone about off the, the deep earth. end, my child. Now, when do we believe in climate change? We're having trouble believing in climate change. We'll tell pollsters we believe in climate change, but most Americans do nothing about it. So it depends on your definition of belief. We're activists. We think that belief is attended by risking arrest. Am I right, Savitri? Amen. But it seems as if our legs have got to be on fire and we've got to be drowning thoroughly before we believe in the thing. When will we start believing what the scientists are telling us? That we are sliding into extinction. Sometime during the Irma Maria Florence Michael Malibu Paradise series of agonies last year, we should have been getting the message. In fact, I'd like to say this. That series of disasters, they are messages. And messages have language and language is spoken by intelligent living things and that is what the earth is most of us in the west we're in the camp that treats the earth like it's a machine we've been doing this since the industrial revolution the trouble with that perspective is that when something goes wrong then you just think well that's the old ford belching smoke let's fix it let's just fix it let's take it to the shop you can't do that with the earth. The earth is a living thing. And when, when we stand on a mountaintop and we look out across this, this living life, we just feel that nowhere we're looking is there nothing. Everywhere we're looking, there's a lot. Living things. Gaia. That's what James Lovelock and Lynn Margulis, two scientists, natural scientists, that's what they call the Earth. That's what they call the Earth when they discovered that what they were studying was not a dead planet, was not a machine, but was a self-regulating organism, as they called it. 
and they named it Gaia. It was a suggestion of, by the, by the novel, novelist William Golding, Gaia, from the Greek goddess. So Gaia, believing that Gaia exists, changes everything. If we could do it, it's not very easy for a person of what I call capital W, the West, to do. But just go into a forest, walk around in that forest and start slowing down and letting the myriad sounds come to you. And just start talking to Gaia. Start saying hello. Tell you, tell yourself and tell her that we're alive here having a conversation. And then ask her for instructions. What do we do? What is that creative nonviolence that we can do that will change our neighbors, change the people around us so that they can save themselves and save, well, put it this way, so that you, Gaia, can save us. Right now, we're preventing your healing. We're putting up resistance. We're putting up Trumpian walls against the change that you have designated for us. Let us evolve. We know you love us. We know you love life. You've invented us. You've created this benighted predator species called a human being. Gaia, we're open now. We know we're in trouble. We will do your bidding. I'm in the forest. Sing me a song. Thanks for listening. This is The Earth Wants You. The Earth Wants You. With Reverend Billy and Savitri D, a project of the Church of Stop Shopping, based in New York City. Amen. We hope to see you again. We've got our, our radio show in various cities. We have podcasts on networks. Most of the popular podcast networks have The Earth Wants You there waiting for you. We invite you to subscribe and be in contact with us. Talk to you next week. Earthalooya. Amen.